on this week's Devils in the Details. The Premier League is back, and that means so are case of my thoughts on the United performance today against Wolves, as well as some thoughts from around the league. Fred has gone to Fenerbahce, and Harry Maguire's departure to West Ham looks very possible. We briefly reflect on these moves and look ahead to see what it will mean for United's transfer activity to close out the window. Case, first of all, welcome to Season 2 of Devils in the Details. This time last year, we were reacting to a huge letdown against Brighton to start the 2022-23 season. And United have beaten Wolves today, but I wouldn't say the performance was the ideal, expected uh, level of performance for this United team this season. What are your immediate thoughts on that game? Obviously, from from a... From a personal, from an individual performance level standpoint, you literally cannot do worse than that, which is not how you want to start the season. But on the other hand, it informs my stance uh, in terms of how concerned I am about it. And I'll save that for later. Let's get straight into it. I mean, it wasn't ideal. I think there's an impulse to go right in on this United team. When we've seen them start slow season after season, and I think there were a lot of explainable factors of that performance, and clear levers to get better. So even though it wasn't great, I don't think it's over just yet, and I think we we have a good chance to talk here about why we think that's the case. Um, and I think we should try and break down this game, um, starting with some caveats, right? This is obviously a United versus Wolves match. Um, this match has historically been awful for both sides. And I think it played out in a similar way today, right? Wolves are a team that play in a pretty in a pretty tight block. And they also have midfielders who are very press resistant, which means that they're a difficult team to break down. And then they're a difficult team to prevent from playing out and generating these long relief periods. Um, and so I think that as a starting point is a good spot to look at where United might have struggled here, especially in keeping the ball in Wolves' half and um, and preventing them from creating anything on the counter. Yeah, uh, there's some truth in that. I think, to a certain extent, that stuff applies to today. But on the other hand, I think we saw some... I, I, th- I think today was very different from the other matches where we've struggled against Wolves, in my opinion, uh, beyond the fact that they had a low block. Uh, would you agree with that? I think maybe the key difference and where it stems from is that I think United were a lot more aggressive today, especially out of possession, than they usually are against this Wolves side. And to me, it felt like Wolves were, in the moments where they were able to get out of that pressure, um, they were able to get really good looks in transition. And there were a number of reasons why I think United played into that downfall, but I do still think that Wolves' strengths as a team were part of what made this game so frustrating. Maybe we should just get into why instead of kind of speaking in vague, overarching terms, right? Um, And maybe the best way to start in that sense is the pressing, right? Uh, I think this match actually had, in many stretches, a lot of successful pressing, and like I said, felt more aggressive than before. Um, In particular, I think there were actually long stretches of both halves, where United were in Wolves' half, had them pinned back, and had the opportunity to keep possession in their half and try to create chances. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I broadly agree with that. I think it was more true in the first half than in the second half. I think in the first half, you know, we talked at halftime, Aaron. I honestly don't think the first half performance was that bad. Uh, There were tons of bad individual performances, but I thought we looked strong out of possession in terms of our team shape, uh, our ability to jump triggers, um, create pressing traps, create high ball wins. Um, I thought, I felt we had a lot of high ball wins in the first half. Um, and they really didn't have major chances. They had two breakaways that wound, wound up in tight angle shots. Um, it wasn't a good half, but it wasn't a good half predominantly in my opinion, because of our abil- our inability to capitalize on high ball wins, create big chances. Um, second half, Yes, I still agree that there were moments where United created high ball wins, uh, where they had phases, um, where they were they had Wolves pinned, but I, I felt the out-of-possession execution got way, way worse, especially in midfield. And so you, that, that was the big change, because I, I thought the second half was catastrophically bad, whereas the first half was, I think you said it when I was speaking to you, and I agree with it, it was bad, but it was very close to being pretty good. And so... Yeah, that, that's what I would say about that. I, I think I agree about the second half being worse than the first half. Did, didn't did you have a stat about um, United winning the ball a lot in Wolves' half in this match? Yeah, so um, this is from Mark R. Stats on Twitter. He said, uh, well, he, he puts out a bunch of stats after a lot of major matches, Premier League matches, Europa League, Champions League, uh, and put out a bunch of stats for this United Wolves match. And one of them is that United had 16 high turnovers tonight. Um, So turnovers within a certain radius of goal, approximately within the opposing final third. Sorry, to be clear, what you mean is that United won the ball off the opposition 16 times within their third. Yeah, yeah. In in, in the opposing third, which is really positive. That is a positive thing. That is probably the only positive you can take from this match. Because otherwise, obviously this was a horrible performance. The solace that I take is that it was predominantly down to individual poor performances, which I think is a lot better than, you know, watching match week one, game week one and saying this was a, a systemic failure, that uh, the tactics were wrong here. I don't think the tactics were wrong here. So in particular, I think United had a lot of good moments in the press, but when they did lose out, it did feel like they lost out big. Especially in the second half, it felt like Wolves had a lot of very good opportunities in transition. Um, And I think there were a lot of people seemingly, uh, and perhaps intuitively, coming to the conclusion that that was either a pressing problem or a rest defensive problem. Whereas, I think you're kind of hinting to me that you think it was more of a personnel issue. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, okay. I, I think it was a personnel issue, but I don't think it wasn't... I don't think it was not a pressing issue. Like it was a it was a pressing issue as a result of personnel individual failures in the press. Yeah, I should clarify. I mean, like a systemic pressing or rest defensive tactical failure. Um, yeah. Whereas you seem to think it was more of personnel failing to execute under a more difficult press, perhaps than last season. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't. I did not see a lot of instances where I thought this is the result of systemic problems. I, today, I wouldn't even say the main thing that we complained about in the press last season, which was fullbacks not jumping, was a major issue. Uh, the fullbacks weren't jumping, but that was not the reason that 
Wolves were able to break United's press, and Wolves only really broke United's press in volume in the second half, and it was typically through the middle by Matthias Nunch. Which, Who is an extremely press-resistant midfielder. He's an extremely press-resistant midfielder, but it's no excuse, right? Um, yeah. I think, in particular, Bruno and Casemiro got absolutely skinned many, many, many times. You can put that down to positioning, or you can put that down to execution in duels and ability to cover ground. I think it would require a rewatch for me to give a, a good answer on that. But I think my my big concern here... The, the thing that I take away from this match that really worries me is how bad Casemiro looked out of possession. Because it's match week one, he should not look this bad out of possession. And, and that's the thing that I think was really key in Wolves having so many transition-based moments in the second half. Um, yeah, do you, you, you want to go ahead? I pretty much agree. He looked really slow. And then I think with the slowness came uh, a sense of some poor decisions about whether he should be diving in or trying to catch up with yeah. the play. I think there were some positional mistakes where he was found a little bit off the man he should have been poised to tackle. And I think a very interesting discussion here is that a lot of people, again, intuitively, I think have gone to the conclusion that this is a result of Mason Mount being introduced into the midfield, um, therefore changing the midfield shape, which is something I definitely don't agree with. I think Mason Mount's role today was quite similar to a lot of the stuff we see from Erickson, at least positionally. Um, and I think his defensive execution was largely quite good. Um, in particular, I think he had a couple of really good recovery runs. Yeah. Uh, I think he was very good in the press. There were some eye-catching ball wins as a result of the work from him, Garnacho, and Anthony. Um, and I don't think that that was what was causing the problem here. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, like, I don't blame people because, like I said, it's first watch. And we're also coming from first watch here. Um, in a match that I think it would have been very helpful to yeah, rewatch. This is a match where I really have would have liked to have done that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, no, but yeah, I like a rewatch might prove me wrong on this, but to me, the problem seemed more to come from Casemiro having a couple of positional and not quite covering the same ground he might have in similar situations last season, making some bad decisions to compound that. Um, and then... In other situations, I think there were just too many players forward once or twice. Um, there was one transition where I think um, in the first half, it was Casemiro missed a slide tackle and then Lissandro overcommitted yeah. and Cunha dribbled past him. Um, and that was obviously a mistake from both Casemiro and Lissandro, but it did feel like United were almost outnumbered or equally numbered, whereas last season they would have had a plus one um, in, in, in a similar situation which I think played a big part in some of these transitions. Yeah, I think there were a couple of instances of that, but I think bigger the bigger issue was what you just said was the jumping in. Um, I think United, in, for the most part, in these transition situations had numbers. Uh, and, and I think as a result, Wolves didn't create like super clear chances. Even in the second half, they were blocked shots and like ugly balls into the box. Not that that's any excuse. 23 shots is a disgusting number of shots to concede to any team. Forget a side that's probably going to finish in the relegation zone. But yeah, I don't think the issue here was usually numbers. I think it was winning duels and being knowing when to duel and, and being physically up to it, which I is really not a, a, that is not typically the analysis point that I go for. Uh, but that's what stood out to me today. Uh, early on, especially Players getting yellow cards in situations where they should not have been diving in. There was a lot of diving in. 
I think Lisandro came at a, off at halftime because of his yellow card, and I think that was the right call. Um, he had one of his worst matches, I think, in a United kit um, in those first 45 minutes. I don't expect that to persist for what it's worth. I don't expect that to persist, but I he really did not... He looked bad in space in a way that I've never seen him look bad in space, which to me is concerning. But overall, I don't think that the pressing is quite where this match fell apart. I agree. I think it fell apart before the pressing fell apart. <laughs> yeah, so another thing I think that led to really bad transitions here is something that rest defense cannot cover for, which is just bad decisions in possession. Um, losing the ball on bad back passes, you can, if you commit enough players back to have your rest defense such that your players are mistake immune, then you have too many players back because you're going to have half your team or more back all the time to cover for some of the mistakes we saw. Garnacho giving it away on the left wing was the one that sticks out in my mind, but there were so many. Anthony had a couple where he was in a good transition moment. Wambasaka had gone ahead of him and then he messed up the pass and Wolves had an easy numerical advantage going back the other way. Um, and I don't think that's a rest defense issue. That's a, you cannot make these mistakes in this level of football type of issue. I think this is a, this is a good point where, where we should like maybe transition a little bit. If we're going to talk about possession and just go player by player and kind of, that was exactly about, my, yeah, just like I'd go from front to back instead of back to front. Cause I think it yeah. makes more sense that way. Yeah. We can start with Garnacho because I just mentioned him. Yeah. I think this was one of his worst performances in a United shirt in his time in the senior team so far. Um, not that I think it was bereft of potential, but I just think he didn't quite know what he needed to be doing in possession in each scenario, which is, I think, something you expect from a player you're taking from the academy into a totally new system at a totally new level where he's constantly under pressure, both technically and like actually under pressure to perform. Um, and I think, yeah, he just made the wrong decision so many times, messed up so many attacks, um, lost the ball in situations where United could have retained the ball or created a chance, lost the ball in situations where United needed to retain the ball. Um, and these are things that I think he will learn, but were a big factor in this performance. Yeah, I agree. I think there's things he can learn. I think he was excellent out of possession for what it's worth. Like, really great out of possession. Definitely not the problem in terms of what was happening uh, off the ball. But, yeah, a really bad performance with the ball. And I think that's true for, like, I mean, spoiler alert, but that was that's true for literally every forward that started this match for United. And, yeah, and for, yeah, for, for so many players who started this match. I thought, yeah, I, I don't get why... It was such an impatient display in possession. It was all go, 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 go. And I don't understand why you would do that against a side like this. Like, yeah, there I were don't know chances if you've read my tweets created. from the match, but no, I, I, I think I Twitter. tweeted about it like four times. Um, yeah, just so many players. It Firstly, the forwards. So, okay, we can continue with the forwards. Um, I don't think Anthony was impatient, but I think his execution was flat out bad. Um, especially in the second half, he made so many mistakes. I think Bruno was, he made so, like, so many bad decisions in possession. There were shots into traffic. There were, um, I'm, I'm laughing because Case has cracked open a beer, um, to drown his sorrows from this match. But, <laughs> but Bruno, just so many struggles in possession, I can't even 
I can even begin. I don't even think he had a turnaround at any point in this match. Usually you find that he has these frustrating games and then gets a goal or assist. He didn't get the goal or assist. Who are we talking um, about right now? We're talking about Bruno? Goal, but yeah. 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 I mean, I th- sorry that I had to ask, but I wasn't sure if you were talking about Rashford or Bruno because it's so often true of both of them. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's hilarious because I, I before he set up that goal, which like he is pretty, he's the reason that goal happened. Like, you can't take that away from him. He was so bad. So bad. Like, the decision-making was driving me insane. And usually the decision-making is bad from him, but the execution was also bad. So, at least we have that to look forward to. I don't think Bruno will have a match where he executes on the ball this poorly again. But, gosh, man. Sometimes, like, I get why he didn't because we were chasing a goal. But there are matches where I think taking Bruno off here would be good. Yeah. Like, just, just because it would slow things down. And, like, that's exactly what this match needed. If at halftime we had slowed things down instead of speeding things up, this would not have gotten out of hand the way it did. I think that was pretty evident when Sancho came on. Every yep. time Sancho had the ball, I was happy. Yeah, Sancho Sancho was, I think, probably the best player who appeared for United in this match. I would say. Varane, maybe. Varane had some mistakes, though. Uh, Sancho. I think probably Sancho was probably the best outfield player, at the very least. And yeah, partially for the reason you just said, just a little bit of presence of mind, like slow it down, slow it down. Rashford, I'd say similar idea, but I think you add this component of just lack of comfort in central areas. I think this is such a big theme this match. There were situations where the ball was played into him with his back to goal, easy hold up and and lay the ball off situations, and he loses the ball. He allows the defender to kind of shove him off and get onto the ball. There were the ones where he gets running, but then he gets crowded really quickly before he can play the pass he wants. Yeah, this was super frustrating. I I think he looked better in wide areas whenever he drifted out to wide areas. And I think that's exactly the takeaway here. He's not a striker. Yeah. And he's not going to play striker in these low block matches. You you need someone else. You need to figure out something else for when Hoyland's out because this is not going to work. Yeah. And I think it also really hurt us because you didn't have him running outside to in, outside to in, in the moments when we had high ball wins. You had him running inside to out. Um, and that just like, Decreased chance quality, put us in a position where he really couldn't contribute to big chance, big chance creation. I, I absolutely hate Rashford at striker in most matches. I find it such an unbearable watch. Like this is a really good player who is not a striker. Like, it, it, and I get why he played there today because there wa- there weren't a lot of other options. But man, was that hard to watch. Uh, yeah, uh, he was good out of possession for what it's worth. Good out of possession performance from Rashford. So we'll give we'll give him that. Yeah, not much else to say. Not sure I totally agree, but I... Well, what was your issue? Do you think, think you... we have to watch it back? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I don't think he was good out of possession. That was... What, what, why specifically? I think in particular, there were there were just situations where he allowed someone to run past him, and I think there were moments when he was out on the left wing where he lost the ball and then... Or, or made a pass that led to United losing the ball and then didn't track back when he was, when he was switched out wide. Yeah, I think later in the match, yes. But I'll be honest, like, I think... I think most of your assessment of this match, most of, like, in terms of, like, execution, executing instructions, I think most of that should be assessed based on, like, the first 45 minutes. Because the second 45, like, this team lost its head. And we've seen it before. This team absolutely lost its head, though. Like, in the first half, they were doing a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. In the second half, it was like everything was wrong. And it was, like, it was simple stuff. Stuff where it's just, like, if you stopped and took a deep breath you would start doing right again 
there's just something so frantic. There's no match control about like some of the senior players in this team, like Casemiro and Bruno, and to an extent Rashford. What did you think of uh, What did you think of Mount's performance? I I thought he was actually pretty good in possession. I think Mount but... Mount was. I thought Mount was good. I, I don't really have a problem with Mount's performance here in in the scheme of the other players. Not that I think he was like stunning. Um, I don't know. Maybe good is too strong of a word. I thought he was fine. He was by far the best out of possession player on the field. Garnacho and him, like those were the two. Um, when he got the ball, he generally executed on it. I don't remember him having a lot of giveaways. He had one transition moment where he slowed it down and he shouldn't have, but like I, a couple of people were criticizing Mount and I do not see it. I think that is a bad, bad take. Especially if you watch the first half of this match where we actually weren't that bad, in my opinion. That was because of things he was initiating. A lot of those high ball wins were down to Mount. Awesome. Yeah, let's talk about Casemiro in the back four. Because, again, I thought it was kind of the same thing we were saying with Bruno, where they're just so eager to play the Hollywood ball over the top. The the ball that every single United defender seems insistent on playing, where they're in the back four, and one forward is making one run in behind... And they somehow believe that if they just keep hitting it at that forward once in a while, they're going to create a goal. And it happens like maybe once a season. It 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 drives me crazy. Yeah. I don't mind the Shaw ball on like into the right half space. You know which one I'm talking about? Like, yeah. I don't mind yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. That's not the one I'm referring yeah, to. No. I'm referring to the one that tries to catch the goalkeeper and the defense out by getting in between it with a with a runner, usually Rashford, yeah. in behind. Sometimes it's Bruno. Yeah. Yep. And the run is super vertical. It's super linear and extremely easy to read. Yeah. A lot of them were really poor uh, playing out of uh, playing out of pressure. Um, I thought this was one of Shaw's worst matches, especially in the second half. Just things cascaded on him. Shaw, Casemiro. Yeah, I would say those were really the two main ones. Shaw and Casemiro just looked so physically off it in the second half of this match. Losing duels, jumping into things, getting getting played around and and dribbled past so easily i would say predominantly because of decision making errors more than anything else and and that was a hard watch that was like brutal i don't really know what to make of this wambasaka performance he didn't give the ball away much um so i'll give him that assisted the goal it was a good run for me really yeah he he had a couple of good runs i definitely don't think wambasaka is at fault for this being a horrible performance um, but again, I think I've, I'm not like, I don't think there's a lot to praise him for either. Uh, like he has some nice slide tackles, uh, in the, in the moments where we were good out of possession, he was, he, you know, he's a good athlete. So he was able to keep up with the press. Um, but he didn't make a positive difference for most of the match. Obviously he assisted the goal and it was a great run. He had a couple great runs. Uh, what, what, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we'll talk about. Oh, Nana in a minute, and I promise this is related, but one thing that Mark said when he was on the podcast about Onana is that Onana is going to make a lot more visible mistakes from crossing situations than De Gea because he actively is going to come out and try and claim crosses. And we actually saw that today. He almost gave away a penalty. But that doesn't mean that he's actually making more mistakes than De Gea because a lot of the things he does, A, lead to winning the ball more often, in situations that De Gea would not challenge for and United would concede shots and goals from. And B, um, if you actually look at the aggregate effects of the goals United are going to concede from the mistakes he makes, they're smaller than the things he saves in A. 
um, is what is what you hope to happen. I think that similar argument is going to apply to looking at how Wambasaka and Dalo contribute in build-up. Because I don't think Wambasaka made many mistakes today. And in the second half, I actually think he had quite a few actions that were pretty good. But fundamentally, he's just inconsistent technically. And what that means is that when he's not executing technically, United are not getting out of build-up on the right side of the pitch. And more than that, when he's not consistent technically, he's not trying particularly ambitious actions. So one thing you'll see with Dalo all the time is when he plays, he will play line-breaking passes. He will see someone in midfield or one of the wingers in a position through the lines, and he will fizz the pass through. And you don't see that pass when it's not played because the opportunity lasts a second and the ball is played through. It's similar to what we see with Lissandro in build-up and why he's so effective at passing through the lines because he sees the pass and plays it in a split second. But you don't see that pass if he doesn't actually play it very often. Um, it's, it's something that requires you to go back and watch these matches over and over again to see when the space opens, is the pass played. And I've found time and time again on rewatches and on initial watches that Dalla will play that pass and Wambasaka won't. And I think that's a really, really big component of why United get out of build-up more when Dalla plays. Because what's going to happen with Wambasaka a lot more is he's going to play the easy pass, or he's going to play the sideways pass, and then they're going to circulate it more. They're not going to find a way through the lines, and someone's going to try and swing the ball over the top because they can't find a way through the lines. Um, yeah, it's a, and I just think there's this opportunity cost of of playing Wambasaka over and over again in these matches, even when he doesn't play badly. We're dependent on him playing well, and then we're also limited by his ceiling as a technical footballer, which is not that high. Yeah, I agree. It's a good point. It's a good point. And, and to to your point about Dallo, a lot of the time, the opportunity cost is is invisible because literally the the potential receiver of the pass is off camera unless you're watching with a tactical cam. Uh, so, like, it's something you literally would not know unless you watch with a tactical camera or you're in the stadium. But beyond that, I, I totally agree with you. I think Dallow probably would have made a big difference in the first half in particular, because I think we were very bad in build-up in the first, like, 15 yeah. minutes. In the second half, when you're falling apart defensively, Wambasaka made some huge interventions that Dallow wouldn't have made. I think that's also a fair thing to concede. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I don't want to focus on Wambasaka here because I don't, like, he wouldn't be in, like, my top five, top six culprits from this match. I, th- I think there were an insanely high number of bad individual performances. I don't think he had a good individual performance, but I also don't think it was, like, up there. Um, yeah. One more thing is, uh, that I wanted to add is, I think the impatience is equally frustrating, but in different ways at nil-nil and at one-nil. So at nil-nil, you can tell that United are trying to find a way to break down Wolves. And so even though I don't like some of the decisions to play these hasty passes or take shots into traffic or uh, try to dribble the first man in the final third and run into him, um, I do understand why a forward might think that that's a good idea to try or a defender might think that that's a good idea to try. If it comes off, you're up 1-0, you've unlocked the game. Once you're up 1-0, there's no reason to play these low probability balls. And so many times, like, if you consider United being nil-nil in this match and the opposition having many chances to break the deadlock, they don't, United do, that one nil is your chance to fix it. That's your, we got out of jail free, now we need to make sure we stay out of jail. And there were just so many times when they let Wolves back into the match, especially after the 85th minute, just trying to create something that wasn't on and losing the ball 
when the last 10 minutes didn't have to be that chaotic. Just get on the ball, keep the ball, and don't force the ball forward until a clear opportunity presents itself. And yes, having technical players who can turn 80% forward passes and 90% forward passes helps, but it was just such an issue in this match, I think, and frustrating in different ways in different phases of the match. Yep. Yep, totally agree. Uh, Before we sort of wrap up this section... Uh, let's talk about Onana because I think that's really the last thing. That was my next yeah. thing. Yeah, I'll I'll just say my bit now. Clear penalty, clear penalty. Obviously, one hundred percent dead to rights. That is a penalty. Everything except that, phenomenal. He was amazing in this game, except for what was a massive, massive, massive mistake. Um, I think it probably works out to like a four or five, like a five. Like a five performance, just because that's such a huge mistake, and we should have like we should have conceded a penalty there. Um, but otherwise, he was literally before that moment. I was literally writing a text to you, Aaron, where I was going to say, "Onana by far our best player in this match." Um, so I don't know. I mean, if I wanted to do the really gross mathematical route to this, I'd argue that. Onana's contributions throughout this game saved more than one goal. I, I think I agree. Yeah. Um, above average. And so therefore, he actually was net positive even after he gave away the penalty. But, I mean, he still gave away he still gave away what could have and probably should have been a penalty. So, can't really say that. But I think, I think the key takeaway here is that that's not going to happen every week. But a lot of the good stuff that he did is going to happen every week. Um, he was challenging for a cross with Sasa, who is literally the tallest striker in the Premier League. Um, like, he is the yeah, tallest is striker in English yeah. football. He's six seven, So, I think that plays a big part in this. It was a desperate point. United were conceding a crazy volume of crosses, and yeah. he was collecting Simply don't let the ball into the box. Very well. Like, the, the number of times the ball came into the box in this match is ridiculous, and he made so many plays on those balls. Like, yeah, this is like another, like, why is why is the ball coming into the box this much? is a bigger issue. Yeah. But that, that's a huge mistake. Like there's no, there's no covering that up. Um, so, I mean, I think my point is if Onana does that, you know, a handful of times this season, not always leading to penalties and goals, but leading to shots maybe. Um, and a couple of them leading to goals. And he does all the other stuff for the rest of the season. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the premier league. And that's what I expect to happen. I don't think he's going to be choking on crosses like that. 38 games a season and so i think i'm gonna give him a pass on this one even though he almost led to united throwing the one nil lead yeah yeah i mean that brings it down significantly because it's a huge mistake but i mean on balance i'm not i'm not worried yeah um the other thing i'll say about onana is i think it's it was clear in preseason but seeing it in a premier league match i think is very different because the standard of pressing is a lot higher um, he drastically changed the shape that United had in build-up compared to last season. The center backs were way wider. I think the fullbacks were, like, if you're watching on regular TV, off the picture a lot of the time. Um, and the midfield three was actually tasked with things you'll see Man City and Ars- Arsenal do. Like dropping back and receiving and deciding whether to turn. Um, things that central midfielders at the top level have to do because they constitute good build-up. And... I think that led to some teething issues at times. I think all the players were slightly more uncomfortable with the situations they were dealing with than usual. But I think that's also something you expect to get better over time this season. 
Um, and this is kind of the the sort of double-sided, the double-edged sword of implementing a more complex tactical style is that United are going to have these hiccups. They're going to have huge L's in the press. They're going to have huge L's in build-up. But the aggregate should be that progressively they have fewer errors. Progressively they get into the opposition half more often and in better situations. Um, this is not something that, you know, you get the right coach, you get the right players, and right away everyone's fantastic at build-up. Um, it's something that takes time, and I think we need to be a little bit patient with. I agree with that. Uh, my only caveat will be, if Casemiro continues to play at the level that he played today, out of possession, then... He won't be starting. He won't be starting. He will be benched, and I will call for him to be benched very soon. Because his level in possession is not good. <laughs> like, he's he's a big reason why we could not build out in this match. Uh there were times when I thought of saying Mount should go deeper and yep. Casemiro should go further forward. Yeah, build like up. I think a big reason why people said, oh, Mount disappeared in this match, I think is probably, I am not on Twitter, but I'll bet you people are saying that on Twitter. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, is because he was high up the pitch. He was the off ball of the three midfielders predominantly. Uh, with Casemiro playing like this, he shouldn't be. Mount should be deeper. Um but really, you should get in Amrabat, and Casemiro should not play if he's going to play at this level. Which, I'm more worried than I was in May, but I'm still not extremely worried about him. Yeah, I think he'll be better than this. The be. question is whether he'll reach the levels he was at last season. Either way, my early watch on Amrabat is that he's super press resistant. My early watch on Kabi Menu is that he's super press resistant. I don't think it's going to be that Casemiro is without competition this season the way he was last season. I'll also add that you also have the option of playing one of those players with Casemiro. So you get him out of buildup. That's all. Okay. Now you can go. <laughs> I'm going to give you issues today and I want you to give me a worried, kind of worried or not worried for each of them. Just quick fire. Quick fire. As quick sure. fire as you can. Let's do uh, it. I'll allow you some short responses, but quick fire as you can. Okay. Okay. Press. Not terribly worried. Okay. Build up. Not terribly worried yet. Casemiro specifically. A little bit worried. I figured we'd have to replace him eventually, but ideally not this soon. So that would be a big blow. Bruno, specifically. This is a typical Bruno match when the creative involvements don't come i think we know what bruno is at this point so is that a, is that a not worried it's not a not worried it's a i've accepted it the value he brings is tremendous united don't have anyone else who can do what he does so you kind of have to accept what he can't okay. mount not worried anthony not worried but it is kind of frustrating that united paid that much for him shaw I'm not worried about Shaw. The right back situation. A little bit worried. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't. I think Dallas should be starting matches, and if he's not, then I'm sure there's a good explanation why United should sign a right back. Okay. Right center back position. Not terribly worried. I think we'll see. We'll reevaluate at the end of August. Onana. Not worried. Lisandro. Not that worried. In general? 
seeing their how they're so okay. I watched every Big Six team this weekend, and United played the worst of the six. Agreed. So that's a little bit worrying, but I think they also played worse than Brighton, who were fantastic on Saturday. I didn't watch Newcastle, but I, I watched Newcastle. Newcastle were definitely better than United. I I don't think it. I don't think United will be this bad throughout the season. No, um, I think they will be quite a bit better. No, I so. I, I I still think United finished fourth. I'm not worried. Uh, I am worried about Casemiro. I am worried about general forward quality. Not anyone specifically, sort of all of them collectively. Um, One note on that. I share all your worries. I think that's ultimately the reason why I have United fourth and not higher than fourth. However, I do think a big issue today was misuse of the forwards. I think Garnacho is not optimally suited to starting games, and I think you're going to have to get him used to it, but right now he's best as a sub. I think Rashford is best on the left. I think Sancho should have started this match. Um, and even if he did, United still lack a striker, so obviously Rasmus Hoyland was missing. And I think those things will mean that United's attack can get a lot better, a lot quicker. Like, today it was mid-table at best standard. It was horrible. Whereas it was, I it was like, I would say it was, like, lower They played worse standard. than that, yeah. but the quality of the starting players, I think, in those positions is mid-table. But I think it can be very in the front easy three, to get much mean, higher. Because I think once table. you include Bruno. In the front yeah. three. Okay, well, I'm talking about Bruno. I'm including Bruno, for what it's worth. I think the next match, you try Sancho at nine. Either you try Sancho... Yes, 100% yeah, yeah. agree. I think you go Rashford on the left, Sancho at nine, Anthony, right wing. Because I would be inclined to play Sancho and Rashford on the wings. But the thing is, I would be worried about out-of-possession stuff. And I do think United's best moments in this match included involved Anthony Mount and Garnacho leading the press. So I don't want to lose that. Um, I will say I watched Spurs versus Brentford on Sunday. United play Spurs on Saturday. Spurs' fullbacks are very good going forward. But they are they were also there for the taking defensively. Like, I think it was Rico Henry from Brentford who took Emerson for a... He took him to the cleaners. Like it was, it was a great performance. And I think if you play Garnacho out there, you have a chance of creating that. But I think I would still play Rashford. I think you can create that with Rashford. You, still, <laughs> you can create that with Rashford, and I would still play Anthony. And you would get, I mean, I don't know. I guess Garnacho could be an argument defensively after today, but I think I'd still play Rashford. And I'd play Rashford. Yeah, you go with Sancho in the middle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Crazy how I've come around on that, but I do, I do not want to see Rashford playing nine again, and I, I want to see him starting on the left specifically. Um. Yeah. Well, I think Sancho in the center adds some benefits for what it takes away, which is a lot less from Rashford than it is from Hoyland, um, who I think will be the clear starter whenever he's fit. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I am not worried. But I'm only not worried because I think... I'm only not worried because I think there will be changes, not because I think... If things go the way they did today, they're okay. If things go the way yeah, they did United today, play like this, we will be very bad. But I just don't believe that that will be allowed to happen. I I think yeah. If you if you play like this the next three or four games, then we start to get very worried. But I think I I don't think that's going to be the case, to be honest. So simply play with your brains with the ball against Spurs on Saturday, and everything will follow from that. And also, please bring me Amrabat. I'll add one more thing. United, 
obviously this shouldn't be the case. United should show up to game week one. And I've said this every year. United should show up to game week one, ready for the season, the way they're going to look in December. We but never do. if we look at the last few seasons, last season, uh, United lost 2-0 to Brighton and then 4-0 to Brentford, got battered in both games. Ended up finishing third and winning a trophy. And playing very well for, for long stretches of the season. Season before that, Beat Leeds 5-1 on opening day. Pogba got four assists and Fernandez scored a hat trick. Ended up finishing sixth. Solskjaer sacked. Um, couldn't muster a coherent performance in like the last two months of the season. If you look at the year before that, lost 6-1 to Spurs. That like awful game against Brighton that they somehow won after full time. Ended up finishing second and getting to the Europa League final. The year before that, beat Chelsea 4-0. Then went on a run of like, I want to say 10 to 15 matches where they won less than half and were lower half of the top half of the table. So like fifth to 10th by Christmas. United almost never looked like they did on game week one throughout the season. Um, I really don't think that this has to be an omen for the rest of the season. If United show up in the next few games and start to look like themselves again. And hopefully better, honestly. I could say more, but let's go to a break. (laughs) Awesome. We'll be right back to talk about Fred, maybe some Maguire, and some midfielders that we've already called for in this half. All right, welcome back. Enough depressing talk about what the heck just happened in that game. Let's talk about some transfers. Fred has left Manchester United going to Fenerbahce. And actually, I just said not depressing, but this makes me pretty sad. Case, I think the the spiel here is that I don't think Fred's a bad player. Um, I think he's been very good in stretches for United. But A, he has a lot of technical limitations that limit him as a regular selection choice for United. And then I think B, his utility is much greater in a very specific role, which means that he becomes this niche backup player who can't fill in in multiple positions and therefore doesn't really offer that much value to Ten Hag's team, plus his contract's out in a year. So to me, this all makes sense, and I'm sad to see him go because I like him, but can't really have any complaints about this. Yeah, I think your assessment is exactly right. Seems like a lovely guy. I... Had fun rooting for him because I think he tries very hard. Your assessment is exactly right. Like I said, farewell, Fred. Happy trails. All right, Maguire. Seems like he's struggling to agree personal terms with West Ham. I think it's time for him to go. He needs to play. He needs to not be in this toxic environment. I think the best of his days are over, if I'm being a pessimist, but I don't think it's unrealistic to say Um, I think he's physically declined a lot and I think 30 million is a great fee to get for him at this stage of his career at this age frankly I think West Ham are a bit silly to pay it when they have prospects to build a long-term team if they want to but we've seen the decisions they're making this window I think it's a just hope Maguire goes through at this point yeah I'll be upset if Maguire I I don't think there's any salvaging Maguire at United I don't think I think especially if you watch the match today, I don't think he would have made any of that better. Uh, I, I, I don't want to see him play a minute. 
to be honest. Uh, and I would like to see or his replacement in, uh, which I think is what we're about to talk to talk about. I don't, I don't have much to add about his West Ham transfer. He should accept whatever terms they're offering him. Uh, I wish him the best. Like I wish Fred the best, but he's not getting back into this team. And if he, if he does, it's a really bad sign. So he should go. All right. Replacements. United are aging at center back. Lindelof and Varane are on the last two years of their contracts. I think it's unlikely, relatively, that they renew for much longer than that, given that they're both entering their 30s. Um, Varane is already 30 this year. Lindelof is 30 next year. So you're looking at some younger replacements. We've got three names that seem to be linked most frequently. I think Fabrizio Romano confirmed all three of these. First choice seems to be Benjamin Pavard. Second choice seems to be Jean-Claire Todibo, with scouts watching him at the Nice game last Friday. And the other choice seems to be Edmund Tapsoba from Bayer Leverkusen. Um, I personally haven't watched a ton of Todibo or Tapsoba. I like the profile as a younger center back with a lot of physically um, enabling attributes, a lot of on-ball enabling attributes, but I can't speak to how good they are, really. Um, As for Pavard, I think this is more of a even though he's reportedly said he doesn't want to play right back, I think this is more of a, we can we only have a certain amount of money and we want both a center back and a right back, so we should sign someone who can play both center back and right back. I have a lot of questions about Pavard, both defensively and attacking, to be honest, at the elite level, um, but he is very good in possession uh, and in build-up by my read. Yeah, Pavard is a great ball striker. Um, I think he's a bit questionable. Defensively, uh, I don't think he's a huge. He's not a ball carrier, which I don't like at fullback. I want your fullback. I want your, your fullback should be able to play in isolation because they play out wide, which means they're often going to be isolated, which I don't think Pavard can do. Uh, however, he would make this team a lot better. Um, otherwise, as for Todibo and Tapsoba, Todibo I haven't seen a lot of. I've heard good things though. Uh, Tapsoba I have seen a lot of, but I haven't seen a lot of him for a while. And Aaron, you told you said this to me. I don't know what your source was on this, but apparently, possibly, he's been worse in recent years. I, I watched a lot of him two years ago, so that's when I think he had a lot of buzz. I don't. I I'm not gonna say I know anything here. Disclaimer. Um, I just like the profile. I like the age. I like the physical profile. I like the on ball reported on ball ability. Seems like it's the right sort of player that United should be targeting. Vaguely, yeah. Yep, agree with that. And as for going back to Pavard again, um, I don't. He's a little older than these other other guys, so I, I would just be less enthused about this move for that reason. Um, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I really, I Maguire should go, and we should get a, get one of these guys in. I'd have to do more research to say confidently which one, but I, I'd, I'll say preliminarily, I prefer one of the younger ones, to Pavard. I think so, too. The one thing I will say about Pavard is that I think the con, if he comes in, is that your best center back is still Varane and your best right back is still Dalo for those right center back and right back positions. I think the pro, if he comes in, is that he becomes the second best at both of them, which makes you deeper and more able to do actual things on a regular basis um, in build-up in particular. So, yeah, I wouldn't be too upset if the fee wasn't that high. Agreed with that. All right. 
Hoyland injury. So obviously, Hoyland has come in with some kind of back injury. And I mean, we probably won't talk about this a ton because we're not sports scientists. And I personally think even if you are a sports scientist, we suffer from the asymmetric information problem in sports, which is we only see what is reported, which is very often not the same as what is actually true and available. It almost never is. Um, but Hoyland's obviously very important to United season. Does this worry you, Case? And what are the workarounds in the meanwhile? Long-term, it does not worry me because... And there are flaws in this thought process, but I think it is also the best approach to take when you do not have more information than what was reported. It does not worry me because United saw this issue in his medical and still signed him. I, I don't think... I don't know how much faith you want to have in United's medical staff, but certainly you should have more faith in them than anyone else in this situation because they have the most information. So that's why I'm choosing not to be worried about it. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I don't think this is exceedingly concerning. In the short term, like we saw today, United need a striker. Rasmus Hoyland, get healthy soon, please, so I don't have to watch this anymore. I want to watch a striker play football, and I think it'll have consequences if he's out for a long time. So I'm worried about it in the short term. I'm worried about the points that will be dropped in the time it takes him to recover from the current injury. It's hard when United gave away so many big chances to say this today, but it feels like if you had any remotely decent striker, once again, you've created way more chances in this match. You've executed way more build-up sequences in this match. You've spent more time in the final third. Your XG is going to be higher. Their XG is going to be lower. This is huge. This is so huge. To the point where if they actually think Hoyland is a concern, think they should go buy another striker. Yeah. Go get a loan. Go find someone. Um, it's really important. We saw Wout Weghorst play like 15 games up front last season, despite being really poor because United needed a striker and he was a striker. And I think the team was largely better for it when he played in the circumstances that he played. I think that says enough as to what an actual good or decent striker could do. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can leave it there on that. We haven't really properly talked about Amrabat. Right. Amrabat. I think we'll do a deep dive on him if and when United sign him. Um, Lavia has announced he's going to Chelsea, so it seems like that one's off. That was our first choice, I think. And then um, the other link United have had is Amadou Onana. I can speak more to Onana than I can to Amrabat right now. I've watched Amrabat about half a dozen times between Morocco and Fiorentina, um, and I think he's quite good. I think he's quite a good fit. I wish he was a bit younger is the summary right now, but... We'll we'll do a deep dive properly if he signs. Do you have anything to add before I go on to Onana? Yeah. Um, quick preliminary thoughts on Amrabat. He is extremely press resistant, both by the eye test and there's like the more advanced metrics that exist out there for press resistance. Like him a lot. Like him like a lot. Um, I, I think he's a huge upgrade over Casemiro in that respect. I think he's good defensively, not great. Uh, I think he's a very good passer. I won't get into any more details um, because I don't... We need to do a deep dive on him to really properly discuss him. But in general, this has the case stamp of approval preliminarily. Uh, and having watched... Yeah, 20 mil especially. Yeah, 20 million especially. And having watched United today, I think it becomes an even bigger issue. Because if Casemiro is going to play like he did today, he needs to not play at all. 
Yeah, I will say, I don't, again, I haven't watched that much of him, but in what I have watched, he has been phenomenal. I don't suspect he's always as good. I think I've just happened to fall yeah. upon games where he was really good, but he was very, very good in these games. Um, the decision making is great. The press resistance is great. The passing is progressive. It's not, it's not like Paul Pogba no. level Hollywood balls and stuff like that, but it it is consistently progressive. Happy, I, I, yeah. It looks good so far, and I'd be happy to do a deep dive on him. I think it would be yeah, a really fun a player fun to scout watch. if United do sign him. All right, Onana. I really like Amadou Onana. I think he's a good, young... I think he will become a box-to-box midfielder. He doesn't really have the attacking stuff right now, but his physicality makes him a really strong candidate, I think, to be an attacking threat um, for a late arriver or, or getting on crosses in the box. He's huge. Um, you would see a lot of... Andre to Amadou long passes, I think, if Onana were to join United. That being said, I think he's like a... If I were to oversimplify his skill set for the purposes of getting through this segment, because I don't think it's particularly pertinent as of now, that might change if United go and sign him. I think he's like a very, very, very good version of Scott McTominay. And I think if you looked at Scott McTominay right now and said, let's make him very, very good. I think what you would get is a player who has a lot of utility as a squad player for United, but doesn't really have a position where he fits. He's not really the Casemiro type six who's going to hold his position rigid and and see out transitions um, by delaying and today. making good decisions. <laughs> it is a bit. He's not going to do the Mason Mount thing where he's receiving between the lines and operating in tight spaces. He's press resistant, but he's not progressive and he's not creative. And he's certainly not going to do the Bruno Fernandes thing. So even though I think he's a good talent, and I wouldn't mind seeing him in United Red, I, I, I don't think this is a player you should A, I don't think he's so good you should be going out of your way to sign him. In particular, I think he has limitations on the ball, which is something that I talk about a lot. And B, I don't think he's someone who immediately improves this team and what it needs in this midfield at this exact point in time. So I would not personally sign him unless the fee was super, super convenient, which I doubt because he's playing for a Premier League team that's fighting relegation and he's one of their best players. Yeah, I don't, I haven't seen that much of Onana. I don't watch a ton of Everton, but last season at least, I did not make a habit of it. Um, Yeah, I'll take your word for it on that. I, I, I generally agree with what you've said and what, based on what I know. Awesome. All right, before we wrap this up, no details. We haven't done this in a while. This is the segment where you're allowed to ask us questions and we answer them, but with one rule. The questions you ask cannot be about football. Case, we did one of these a couple weeks ago, but uh, it got a little bit messed up on the audio and the edit, so we didn't end up publishing it. So I'm going to invite you again, and top five is overwhelming for me, but we're going to do top three movies. Okay. All right, I say we go no particular order and we go one by one, rather than going one of us gives all of theirs and the other one gives all of theirs. Yeah. Okay. Despite saying it's overwhelming, I definitely have more than three, but I also have more than five. So I, I'll start by saying Moneyball as the like football analytics nerd movie. But I also think I watched Moneyball long before I got into football analytics, to be honest. And I just thought it was a great movie about decision making and what's important to people. So we'll start with Moneyball. Okay, I like that pick. Moneyball is a definitely a heritage pick for this podcast. Um, also a big fan of that movie. Terms of favorite movies, one of my all-time favorites is Pan's Labyrinth. 
um, which is directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it's about, it's sort of like, it's, it's magical realism, so kind of fantasy related, but also takes place during the Spanish Civil War, uh, towards the end of the Spanish Civil War, and it's sort of a little girl's perspective and interpretation of the events of the Spanish Civil War with a a, a parallel plot that's sort of, you know, a gr- large large-scale allegory slash analogy for Franco as Spain. Uh, so it's, there's, there's a lot packed in there and it's also a beautiful movie, uh, that sort of like walks the line between historical drama and fantasy slash horror. I'm a huge fan. I've got a poster of it up on my wall. That actually sounds really good. I'm going to go watch it. You should. I'll let you do pick two first. Okay. Uh, number two. Okay, so the first time we did this, I couldn't remember the name of this movie. Uh, so I'm glad we got to redo this. Last year, I watched a movie called Masan with a friend of mine. Um, and th- this is a a, a movie that about uh, Varanasi, which is like a, a holy city in India, for those of you who don't know. I'm sure a lot of you do know because a lot of you are Indian. Uh, hello to our Indian listeners. Um, I think India is like number five on the Devils in the Details Spotify charts, yes. by the way. And we chart there in the top 50 every week. So thank you, yeah. India. That is really awesome. Um, anyway, it's, it's about, uh, it's sort of a love story that takes place in Varanasi, but also it's not, a, it's not a happy love story. <laughs> um, and it tackles a lot of social issues. Um, it's an amazing drama. Uh, I'm not giving it the description that it deserves. You should 100% go watch this. Masan, M-A-S-A-A-N. Fantastic film. You you fix super culturally significant, interesting foreign films, and I am going to choose the most American movies ever. Okay, no, you know what? Since, since I don't want to be the one who picks three American movies, I'm going to pick Parasite. It's a great movie. Um, which everyone watched it before me. And hyped it to the moon until one night, my brother and I, my brother was like, we're going to sit in the basement. We're going to watch Parasite in 4K. I've already seen it, but you're going to love it. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. We load up the movie. Honestly, it lived up and more. The storytelling, the quality of storytelling is just so beyond any other movie I've ever seen in that aspect. That alone makes it. It's like the perfect mix of modern social issues in Asia um, with old time story storytelling. Like you're sitting around a campfire and they're telling you this story. It's so it's so well written and the performances are great and it's visually really great. If you haven't already seen it, which I think most of you probably have, you should watch it. Um, My third one is going to be. The one I think you should go see right now, which is Oppenheimer. I saw it on Saturday with my brother again. We went to see it in IMAX. Actually, I don't know if IMAX is like a Canadian thing. It might be. No. But it's essentially a... What? It's not? Okay. I don't <laughs> you know. You have to keep this in. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I've, I've never... I went to... I, I've lived in, I lived in the States for the first like quarter of this year, and I did not see IMAX anywhere. But maybe I just wasn't paying attention because I didn't want to go to a movie theater when I was only spending a couple months. Yeah, I I went with my brother on Saturday, and it was incredible. Like, I 
normally when movies are three hours long, I think there were ways in which this could have been shorter and I'm losing patience, but this one moved with a speed and like the, with a speed and clarity that like it was, it was incredible. The whole thing I was, I was glued to the screen from top to bottom. The acting performances were amazing. The visually, I thought it was great. Like, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, you should go. I'm I'm going for Barbie tomorrow night. So I guess I'll complete the 2023 blockbuster movie. Uh, Barbenheimer is that yeah Barbenheimer I think um I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet but I'm really looking forward to it I have seen Barbie it was excellent so uh yeah and then my third movie is I've got I have so many things I could pick from but I'll say Grand Budapest Hotel um absolutely love that movie visually the plot uh I'm a sucker for nostalgia there's a ton of nostalgia pumped into that movie um yeah I also love the the format of like a story within a story within a, a story where like somebody is telling you a story and then they're telling a story about somebody else telling a story. And that's how that movie is structured. Um, yeah, absolutely adore that film. Also have that poster on my wall in my bedroom. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend. I owe that one a second watch for yeah. sure. Um, I watched it with a few friends and like I need to like sit and watch it alone. It's such a fun film. Yeah, and it's definitely something you 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 should watch alone uh at least once. Um All right. Awesome. Perfect. Uh last note. For those of you who listen and don't use Twitter, if you now have questions, you can email us at devilsitdpod at gmail dot com with questions or answers. Or or answers. With questions or otherwise. Yeah, we thought we'd start this so we'd give you guys an opportunity to reach out. We really appreciate your support, whether you're on X Corp or not. Um, yeah, and thanks for listening. Anything to add, Case? Um, yeah, the only thing I'll add is don't be too down, guys. The season has just begun, and things are going to be all right. Perfect. All right. We'll see you next week, everyone, with the Spurs match and hopefully some transfer updates. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.